The longest field goal ever attempted is 76 yards. The longest field goal ever missed? Also 76 yards. Why bring this up? Because knowing your limits matters, both when you're kicking a field goal and when you gamble. Betting more than you're comfortable with is like trying a 70-yard field goal. It probably won't go well. So set a limit when you gamble and stick to it. Want more helpful tips like this? Go to KeepItFunOhio.com for games, quizzes, and lots of ways to keep your gambling from getting out of hand. Dogs are an important part of our lives, and keeping them protected is a top priority, especially against nasty parasites. That's why you got to check out NextGuard Plus, a Foxaloner, Moxidectin, and Pyrantal chewable tablets. NextGuard Plus chews provide one-and-done monthly protection that kills fleas and ticks, prevents heartworm disease. Plus, it treats and controls roundworms and hookworms. That's a whole lot of protection packed into a delicious beef-flavored, soft chew designed to make monthly dosing easy and enjoyable. So the next time you're at the vet, ask about NextGuard Plus chews. They're the one-and-done monthly parasite protection you want for your dog. Use with caution in dogs with a history of seizures or neurologic disorders. Dogs should be tested for existing heartworm infection prior to starting a preventive. Hello and welcome to Circling the Bases, proudly presented by Rotoworld and NBC Sports. My name is DJ Short and I'm back here once again with Eric Samolski. And also joining us here is our old friend Scott Pianowski, who has been a part of the show for most of this season. Uh, more recently, focusing a bit more on your Yahoo duties with football season ramping up. It's understandable. But Scott, it's great to have you back here once again. Welcome back. Thanks for having me. Looking forward to talking some baseball. Looking forward to talking some 2024 baseball. Yeah, you know, it's it's interesting, uh, you know, with what happened with Aaron Rodgers yesterday, I was thinking this morning, like, what are the most tortured fan combinations? And myself, I am a Mets slash Washington football fan. And that that has been rough, especially from an ownership situation. But now the Mets have new ownership. The commanders have new ownership. So I'm willing to admit that the Mets-Jets combo might be the most depressing combination of sports fandom. What do you guys think? Yeah, I think it might be. You know, in New York, you can't root for both teams, and usually it lines up Yankees, Giants, and Mets, mm-hmm. Jets. And, of course, the, the Mets went for it. They shoved all their chips all in. Max Scherzer, Met, Justin Verlander, Met. Of course, they were selling those guys off at the trade deadline, and they've even said that maybe they're not going to be big players in free agency in this offseason. I'll believe it when I see it because we know Cohen has money from here to the moon. But, um, you know, the thing – I know this is a baseball podcast, but the thing that hurt so much about the Rodgers injury was that opening day is about hope, right? Opening day is about any baseball team, any football team, any – call, you know, whatever sport you follow, you want to feel good on opening day. This is our year. We're going to get better. We're building to something. Yeah. And to have the air get sucked out of the building as quickly as it did with the Mets – as quickly as it did with the Jets here. And it, it comes back to like you know, the year Tom Brady got hurt right away or the year Vinny Testaverde got hurt in the opening game of the season. You just want to feel good about yourself for like 15 seconds. And it's just really frustrating when that doesn't happen. And again, tagging this back to baseball, the Mets were on the short list of contenders. And now it's, you know, Justin Verlander, Mets is going to be an immaculate grid answer that we try to remember down the street, you know, in the next few years, you know, because he was just there and then gone. Yep. Yeah, I think it's one of those things where you – you know, in the moment, the like 
gut-wrenching playoff loss feels terrible and it feels like it hurt so much more because you're like oh we were close we you know we had a shot um but but sometimes i think when the rug gets pulled out from under you from under you and all you have are the are the what ifs as a fan it can be even worse right i mean last year's met season you could at least say they were one of the best teams in baseball for a long stretch of time and they were a good team and they accomplished a lot and they just didn't get there now, if they had gone out this year and Scherzer got hurt, start number one, Verlander got hurt, start number one, and all of a sudden the season goes off the rails and you're left thinking, what if they had just been healthy? You know, that that what if is kind of that cruel twist of fate that sometimes is hard to get over. Interesting Mets news right now, just within the past hour, it was reported by pr- pretty much all the major uh scoops reporters jeff pass and andy martino on and on and on uh that the mets are hiring david stearns uh as soon as the regular season concludes they've reached an agreement there of course stearns has been with the brewers since 2015 came over from the astros joined the front office there was the president of baseball operations for uh seven seasons it's no secret uh that the Mets have had interest in David Stearns have been trying to hire baseball, a president of baseball operations. Uh, Billy Epler has been the GM for the past two years. We'll see what the structure is moving forward. But even in an offseason where, yes, for now, um, Steve Cohen saying he's not going to spend big, uh, you know, kind of constructing this front office. Is Buck Showalter going to be the manager next year? I'm sure, you know, Stearns will want to make his imprint on the organization as well. So, it's going to be an interesting offseason no matter what happens for the Mets here. What a great move, right? I mean, this is, to me, I know Stearns doesn't have quite the resume to line up this comparison, but this is like if the Red Sox had gotten Billy Bean back in the early 2000s as they were linked to, and you know, they talk yep. about that. They, there's a little bit of a uh, note to that in Moneyball at the end where you know, they, they woo him at Fenway Park and you know they right. give him a gift basket and everything. But Stearns has done a lot the Brewers aren't at the bottom of the barrel of payroll, but between Craig Council being a really good manager and Stearns doing an excellent job with some of his value picks, I feel like Milwaukee's outkicked what they look like on paper sure. a lot of times on the field, and now Stearns gets to go to a team. Look, whatever, even, even if they take a step back financially for like a minute, the Mets are going to be one of the teams with money. They're going to be one of the teams in there swinging for free agents. If it's not this year, it will be soon enough. So it's just exciting to see Stearns go to from a place where he didn't have all the resources and maybe didn't have all the support he wanted. And a lot's going on with Milwaukee. We don't know what the status of the park and even the long-term viability for that team in Milwaukee, which makes me sad to even say that. But I'm just excited that now you get Stearns in the luxury SUV where he has all the modern conveniences and everything. What can he do? So, you know, all, all the Jets fans who are depressed right now, maybe the Mets are going to make you feel better. Assuming Zach Wilson isn't the most you know, uh, underappreciated yeah. right asset in the NFL, but um, yeah, the, the bets are going to be back in uh, in the swing of things soon enough because you hire smart people who are still. I think Stearns is still on the escalator. I mean, this could be oh, yeah. the guy who runs this team for the next 15, 20 years. Yeah, I'm really curious to see what they do with Epler and just how the structure works. But you'd like to think you're not bringing in Stearns to make him report to somebody else. So I, I think oh, no. it's. It'll be interesting to see how they they play, and I'm with you guys. I I don't buy their sitting out anything. No, no. I, I I don't think any other team believes that either. To be honest mm-hmm. with you. Uh, so Scott, the reason we have you here is that you and I recently took part in an extremely early 2024 fantasy baseball mock draft. 
uh, with 13 other drafters from Tout Wars. So uh, really smart minds, good players, thinking about what the draft board might look like uh, in 2024 as of today. We didn't go super deep. It was only six rounds, but still 15 players, six rounds, you know, 90 players. That's a pretty good group. Uh, so we'll go through that in a minute. But before we do, now that the NFL season is in full swing, we've got you covered. In addition to three episodes of the Roto World Football Show per week, check out the Fantasy Football Happy Hour with Matthew Berry and Bet the Edge every weekday. You can watch Happy Hour at noon and 4 p.m. on Peacock. It's also available on the NBC NFL on NBC Sports YouTube page. And Bet the Edge drops every Monday through Friday at 6 a.m. Get your day started with them on our NBC Sports YouTube page. Both shows are available as well wherever you listen to your podcast. So make it a part of your daily routine. The longest field goal ever attempted is 76 yards. The longest field goal ever missed? Also 76 yards. Why bring this up? Because knowing your limits matters, both when you're kicking a field goal and when you gamble. Betting more than you're comfortable with is like trying a 70-yard field goal. It probably won't go well. So set a limit when you gamble and stick to it. Want more helpful tips like this? Go to KeepItFunOhio.com for games, quizzes, and lots of ways to keep your gambling from getting out of hand. Dive into the start of summer at Whole Foods Market. Check out their summer splash event with sales on fresh organic produce, organic strawberries, and a fan-favorite sale on Ben & Jerry's and Talenti. Explore deals on grill-friendly meats like organic air-chilled chicken breast, beef and chicken kebabs, all with no antibiotics ever from our meat department. Plus, grab easy sides from prepared foods and cool off with refreshing drinks. Kick off your summer and shop in store or online at Whole Foods Market today. Look around. You can find cars like these on AutoTrader. New cars, used cars, electric cars, maybe even flying cars. Okay, no flying cars, but as soon as they get invented, they'll be on AutoTrader. Just you wait. AutoTrader. So let's get started with this draft. Uh, we each have access to the draft board. Number one, shocking. Uh, we'll start at the top here, <laughs> Ronald Lacuna Jr. Uh, surprising nobody. It's funny, though, like recent years, there's been a debate about who should be number one. You could make a case for different players. Next year, everyone's going to be number one because Acuna is the cheat code of all cheat codes. Yeah, I, I also think it just to point out, I, I sadly I didn't get entered into this one. I responded to Todd, but there were so many people that wanted in. But but Tout Wars um, is an OBP format, yeah. so I assume this draft is also OBP, which um, could be interesting as we get to later in the first round because as a player I'd love to talk to you guys about. But just something to consider as sure. you go through these names, that that is a component um, of this league. Sure. So Acuna number one, not not a huge shock there. Uh, looks like with the power surge he's been on recently, you know, 40-70 is going to happen, which is uh, just mind-blowing. Uh, Julio Rodriguez with his uh, – and we're going to post the link to the draft board uh, in the podcast description and also on the description on the YouTube uh, when the video is posted to YouTube. So you can follow along with us during the show. Uh, Julio Rodriguez, the strong second half that he's had, uh, jumped up into the number two spot. Corbin Carroll went number three. I can't really debate that either. I think it'd be interesting, you know, with the run that Trey Turner has been on <laughs> recently, uh, he probably would have been a bit higher in this draft. This draft did take 
place about like a week and a half ago. So I think he would have probably been drafted higher, but uh, it is what it is. So Corbin Carroll, number three, I went number four and I took Bobby Witt Jr., which was an impulse play. Admittedly, Eric, if you remember, I did the show on the, I did the pick yep. on the air. Oh, yeah. <laughs> so I wasn't really thinking about it too much, but I, I still like the pick. Uh, September hasn't been great so far for Wit, but just ridiculous in July and August. And the expected numbers said he deserved better than what he showed in the early part of the season. The strikeouts were down. He was hitting the ball hard, just not getting the luck that he deserved. But you look at the back of the baseball card numbers, 28 home runs, 86 RBIs, 41 steals, 80 runs scored. His expected batting average is 291. So you think there's that batting up upside as well. So five category dynamo. I'm just kind of checking boxes in the first round. I want to get coverage as in as many categories as I can. I think Witt gives that to me. Yeah, a lot of things to like about this pick. Young player. On the escalator, he's always had a pedigree. I mean, he's somebody who could be an MVP someday. The only thing you're not getting here, if it is an OBP exercise, you may get dinged a little bit there. And you don't have that lineup buoyancy with Kansas City. It's a lineup that generally goes three to five deep, but not necessarily nine deep. But the bottom line is this. Bobby Wood's floor is probably top 15, top 20 player. His upside is he's on all the magazine covers the next season that he has yeah. a Ronald Lacuna type of season. That's in his range of outcomes. Maybe it may be a, a different shape. It may, it may be more heavily slanted. We don't what elite sprint speed he has. I mean, but Bobby Wood is already a great player, and he's. I would think the expectation is that we haven't seen his best season yet. So I love taking an escalator player who checks as many boxes, as you said, anywhere in the first round. I, he's the type of player, when you pick in the middle of the first round, you're hoping he slips to you. I think he's totally justifiable, really anywhere from, from two onward. Acuna is going to go one everywhere. I think the argument starts, who do you take at two? I think you could take Witt at two. I think he's a perfectly reasonable pick at four. Yeah, I, I like that you you mentioned you know a player on the escalator taking a young player with this kind of upside anywhere in the top half because I think to me that is what I'm thinking with the next pick, which um, Spencer Strider went fifth before Kyle Tucker. And I'm curious what you guys think about that because Tucker could very likely go 30-30 this year. He's pretty close. Mm -hmm. He's 26 years old. So athletically, he's still going to be in his prime next year. We know that Houston is going to very likely continue to have a strong lineup. Um, I know all of the reasons why Spencer Strider is great, even though you know we could talk about ERA to death like we're you know debating the Cy Young. But mm -hmm. I think... You know, a player, a 30-30 talent who's, you know, hitting 290 uh, and is going to be good in OBP and could, you know, very well have 100 runs and 100 RBIs. Like, I, I, I lean Tucker in that sense. Yeah, me too. Uh, I also just think position players are so much safer than, than pitchers. Um, and the strikeout advantage that Strider gives you, yeah, I mean, you see that upside, like – He's going to get close-ish to 300 strikeouts this year, probably not quite getting there. The thing that Strider, with Strider that's so frustrating, especially if you're in like a head-to-head -head league, but yeah, you're going to get the strikeouts. But like if he comes out there, because he's a two-pitch pitcher, and he has these starts where he oscillates between being dominant and getting hit extremely hard. And you don't really know which Strider you're going to get um, from start to start. It's just a little too early for me. First round, I tend to play it safer. And I don't think Strider is as safe as it might seem that he is. Yeah, also a shout out to our friend Shelly, who's on the show a lot, who made the Strider pick. And 
I get that when you take somebody, if you take that ace, it's kind of like that hero RB build of fantasy football. A lot of times in fantasy baseball, you get your ace and then you pound away with the hitting, which she did with her next three picks. So I, I think it's a perfectly reasonable roster build. For sure. I would have preferred Tucker here. And also a, a guy who seems a little bit over his skis for me. Uh, see what you guys think. Jose Ramirez was the seventh pick in this draft. He just had a step backwards in his age 30 season. And, you know, I know from Sesame Street, the next year is his age 31 season. I don't like the Cleveland offense around him. I know third base is not the deepest position in fantasy, but I'm not playing the position scarcity card here. I just want the best numbers I can get. And to me, there's a lot of other guys who are much more interested. No, Grant Tucker went ahead of Ramirez. So, I mean, you can't, you know, that person couldn't have taken Tucker. I would never in a million years take Ramirez over Tucker now. Tucker's younger, hasn't had his best season yet. He's got more protection and buoyancy. It's not just protection like they'll throw him a strike. I want Kyle Tucker to come up with people on base. And when he gets on base, I want people to drive him in. I feel better about the Houston lineup than I do about the Cleveland lineup. So Jose Ramirez is, to me, at this stage of his career, a better real-life player than fantasy player. And I really don't think he's a middle-of-the-first-round guy anymore. What do you say? I, I agree with you. I mean, I think that, you know, when we were drafting this year, we didn't yet know what the stolen base landscape was going to be. So the fact that he could steal 25 bases and hit for power um, and, you know, it, it felt like a at a position without a lot of top end talent, we felt like, oh, that's a that's a good value in the early part of the first round. I think realizing now that like the 25 stolen bases you're going to get from Ramirez are good. You're not mad at it, but it's not something where you're like, oh, I need to reach and I agree with you. Like, I, I don't love playing the position scarcity card early on in the first round. Like, I could yeah. see it at some point in the early rounds in general, but like, you know, he and Mookie Betts are the same age. I, I don't know that I'm taking Jose Ramirez over Mookie Betts. I know I'm going to get more stolen bases from Jose Ramirez, but that's probably it. I think Betts yeah. is better in the other four categories. When, you know, when DJ and I were doing this live, we were talking about whether you would actually take Aaron Judge at four because you know when he's on the field, you're getting ridiculous output. Obviously not, again, 25 stolen bases, but you're getting better output in four other categories. I, I might take Judge over Ramirez. So, yeah, I'm, I'm with you on that, Scott. Um, with bet, When I was at number four and I, I took wit, I was debating Judge. I was also thinking strongly about Fernando Tatis Jr. I was thinking about Mookie Betts. What I love about Betts going into next year is, yeah, he's not going to give you the speed that some of these other places, uh, players do, but he qualifies at three different positions Everywhere. going into next year, which is huge uh, to have for your roster and the flexibility you can have moving forward depending on how the draft board plays out. So I actually love Mookie Betts a lot. Uh, he went seventh, eighth. Uh, eight. eight, yeah, eighth right after Ramirez, and then Ju and Judge went nine, and Tatis went ten. So all and those Scott, guys. Scott, you took about. Tatis, who was another player I was considering. Uh, what were you thinking with uh, Tatis there? Do you feel like he fell, or did that seem about right to you? I was disappointed. I didn't have a slot where I could have gotten Mookie Betts or maybe Kyle Tucker. I even would have considered Judge there. So it wasn't necessarily a proactive pick for me, but I took again. This is a six round exercise, fifteen managers. I wanted to get as many home runs and stolen bases as I could get. And I still feel like Tatis, he's run bad a little bit with injuries, with suspension. I mean, this lineup that I think is absolutely loaded. He's still at a really good age pocket, qualify a couple positions perhaps. So it's just a matter of I wanted to come out of this draft with a lot of home runs, a lot of stolen bases, and a lot of offenses 
again, you know, the fantasy football tie-in. You tie into fantasy football offenses you think can score a lot of points. In baseball, I want to be tied to offenses going to score a lot of runs. My first pick was a Padre. I know, look, they want, they lost all those one-run games this year. They're not going to make the playoffs, but this is still a really good team. They can easily win 95 games next year. They can easily be the highest-scoring team in, in baseball. I took Marcus Simeon in the second round. Texas scores a ton of runs. I, I wanted to get – Power, speed, and investment in good offenses, and and, and players pro- probably still on the escalator. I can't say that necessarily about Semyon, but Tatis, I think we all know, hasn't had his best season yet, so maybe it'll be next year. Can I ask you guys because it's relevant to that exact point about the San Diego Padres offense? What stands out to me is the next pick um, after Tatis, which is Juan Soto, um, and I kind of feel like maybe Soto is being drafted based on what we thought about him a couple of years ago. And again, this is why I brought up the OBP thing before is because in an OBP format, Soto is obviously way more valuable than a, a, an average format. So maybe you would say, yes, Soto here in an OBP league and not in an average league. But if I'm in a batting average league, like I'm getting single digit stolen bases from Soto still. He's hitting 260 this year. He hit 242 last year. So maybe he's a 270 guy, no longer the, you know, 300, 350 hitter that he flashed before. Um, you know, solid power and counting stats. But I just don't know that I'm taking a hitter with a mediocre batting average and single digit stolen bases this high in the draft, even if his name is Juan Soto. I want to get yeah. DJ's take on this, but I'll quickly say I would have taken Freddie Freeman over Juan Soto. Oh. Just snap, snap call. I was literally about to say that. It's crazy that Freddie Freeman went 12. Like, how many years in a row do we have to see Freddie Freeman be awesome and consistent? When have you ever regretted? When have you ever regretted Freddie Freeman? Never. It's wild. Like, we talk so much about looking for that safety valve in the first round, someone you can count on. Maybe they're not always going to be the number one player, but someone at the end of the year, you know the stats are going to be there. That's Freeman. I I think he's a a no doubt should have been drafted a few picks earlier than that. I look at the Soto thing like I look at a little bit like Corey Seager, right? What's the what's the knock on Seager besides obviously the health issues that he seems to run into? It's you're not going to get stolen bases. Well, he has two. Soto has eight. So, yeah, you got a six stolen base difference. But if you're not getting a lot of stolen bases with Soto, why is he that much better than Corey Seager when you know Seager is in as good, if not a better offense? He's going to hit for way higher average if you're in – a batting average league um, and, you know, arguably has more power. I mean, he has more power this year in a little bit, but I just think all those knocks we had on Seager kind of the same thing for Soto, but also you have a little bit of a batting average knock for Soto. Right. Exactly. We, we thought that Seager was going to benefit from the shift changes and just from like better luck in general. He's not like a 240, 250 hitter. That's just not who Corey Seager is. I think the shift has helped a little bit, but uh, he's also just been, he's been amazing. And I, I like that lineup in Texas has a chance to get uh, even better as we move forward here. Evan Carter has been a nice addition for them in, in recent days. So I know th- things right now with the Rangers, like who knows, they might not even make the playoffs at this point, but uh, I do I do still like that. Uh, I like, at least offensively, I like that team. The longest field goal ever attempted is 76 yards. The longest field goal ever missed? Also 76 yards. Why bring this up? Because knowing your limits matters, both when you're kicking a field goal and when you gamble. Betting more than you're comfortable with is like trying a 70-yard field goal. It probably won't go well. 
So set a limit when you gamble and stick to it. Want more helpful tips like this? Go to KeepItFunOhio.com for games, quizzes, and lots of ways to keep your gambling from getting out of hand. Dive into the start of summer at Whole Foods Market. Check out their summer splash event with sales on fresh organic produce, organic strawberries, and a fan favorite sale on Ben & Jerry's and Talenti. Explore deals on grill-friendly meats like organic air-chilled chicken breast, beef and chicken kebabs, all with no antibiotics ever from our meat department. Plus, grab easy sides from prepared foods and cool off with refreshing drinks. Kick off your summer and shop in store or online at Whole Foods Market today. One, two, three, four. Those are numbers, but you already knew that. If you want to know what number you're going to pay each month for your car, Use Kelly Blue Book My Wallet on AutoTrader. They're really good at numbers. AutoTrader. Other interesting thing here from the first round, uh, Shohei Otani goes 14th, we're assuming, presumably just as a hitter uh, next season. Do you think that's a little too low? Were people scared off by the possibility of Tommy John? Yes, he'll probably still hit next year, but will he enter next season with questions? Yeah, I mean, I think if he gets Tommy John, which I, I think it's likely that he undergoes some sort of surgery in the yeah. in the offseason, I think he wants to pitch again. It's not going to be next year. But so so then isn't that kind of like on the upside, that's the Bryce Harper timeline. Um, and that Bryce Harper came back early. And Bryce Harper looks really good now, but it took a while for that power to come back. That power was not sure. there at the beginning. And for all you know, the success that Harper's had this year, relatively speaking, he has 16 home runs. So yeah. if you're going to get Soto for maybe a month or two less than you would normally, and you're going to get less power out of Soto early in the season as he recovers, sorry, Otani, I'm like going back on the Soto thing. If you're going to get Otani, you know, on an injury shortened season with less power than you would normally, yeah. I don't know that I love it as a DH-only yeah. guy this early in the draft. So, rule of thumb Harper... Is, I don't want to talk myself into first-round picks. I feel like you have yeah. to talk yourself into Otani a little bit. He's, he's obviously wonderful when he's healthy. He's not healthy right now. And there's a looming surgery, and there's just... I love that Eric brought up the Harper comp, which I think is is something we have to consider. I, I'm not talking myself into a first-round pick, and it, it's going to be frustrating if Otani makes a great comeback and does Otani things because you want to talk about all the FOMO when you don't have Shohei Otani, it's no fun because he's plastered all over social media doing amazing things, but I'm not going to take him in the first round. So yeah, the, the free agency situation, the looming questions about Tommy John surgery, Harper had the surgery. I just looked up the date, November 23rd uh, last year after the, the Phillies world series run. So I'm sure Otani will like any anybody you try to avoid surgery rest rehab he'll probably throw some bullpen see how he feels make a decision maybe it comes a little bit earlier than harper's decision because he's they're not making a world series run is that your shocking (laughs) news by the way the angels are not making the postseason uh (laughs) exactly so maybe the surgery's earlier and i don't know if he's gonna beat harper back the way he did this year but i think you're right uh it took a little while for Harper to perform the way we're accustomed to seeing. So I agree. Probably that's the the right spot for him, but I don't even know if I would have drafted him personally. What team is he going to be on? Dodgers? I, I guess. I could see a scenario where the Angels keep him. Really? Yeah. Yeah. I, oh, I, I, my gut still says Mets, but who knows? 
I, I can't see if I'm Otani. I just have to feel like the the Angels situation is just impossible. They they can't right. win there. They've tried everything and nothing has worked. I think also the the story that leaked that like they told him to get an MRI and then he said no and then he got hurt. Like there was all this stuff where like who knows where that story came out from, yeah. but it speaks to a little bit of a, a fracture there. Um, and I, I'm curious, you had mentioned Trey Turner, DJ before. Mm-hmm. Turner was the the second pick of the second round here. So what is that? Yep. Pick seventeen. Would you yep. have taken Turner over Otani? Yes, I would have. Yeah, yeah. I also would have taken Turner over Seager, only because Seager's power this year is so far above right. his norms that I, I just have to regress that back to something else. He's missed time in several seasons, including this year. We know he's not going to run that much. I just think Trey Turner. Sometimes we saw this last year with. With um, Simeon, right? Big, big free agent contract. Maybe he presses early to try to justify it, and then like the final four and a half months, he was fantastic and was actually a really great draft. I think deal this year. Uh, maybe Turner just you know new team, big contract, a little while. Presses, presses a little bit, and he's. It's not just that he got it back. He's dominated once. Once the light yeah. went on for Trey Turner, he's been a dominant player. He looks again. like the World Baseball Classic right. Trey Turner. <laughs> he's like I think he's back. Trophy. I think he's back in the first round. I think this is the last time we see Me Trey too. Turner. And, oh and yeah. I know Part of it's the cadence of when this draft happened and yeah. everything. But I'm going to the bottom line. There are green light picks. There are yellow light picks. There are red light picks. I will give you the green light on Trey Turner for 24. Sometimes 100%. I think we forget the the personal side of it, like. You know, obviously there's the the new money, new contract, new team thing. But like, so the new team means moving to a new city, uprooting your family. Also, when your wife is pregnant, because we know he took time on a paternity leave when his wife gave birth at this time of the season. So there's a lot of change going on in this dude's personal life while he's trying to perform on the field in a big market that is not super friendly to you when you're not performing. Like there are some things like that, that they just take time to adjust. And I think we sometimes talk about that stuff but then lose sight of it when we're evaluating a player's season very fair so we're going to start bouncing around the board a little bit here i wanted to just to quickly go through the top 10 starting pitchers who were drafted uh so spencer strider as we said number one garrett cole was the only other pitcher uh selected in the first round otani as well but that's presumably just as a position player uh three luis castillo four kevin gosman five zach gallon went one pick before me uh, in the third round. And then I took Zach Wheeler, who I think is not getting enough play as an NL Cy Young Award candidate. Like that that race is going to be crazy. And it's still a lot to be decided here in the next few weeks. But Wheeler went healthy. He's a workhorse. Strikeouts, control has been great. Corbin Burns went number seven. I considered him there too. I did go with Wheeler. Framber Valdez, eight. Tyler Glass now nine. George Kirby, Tenth uh, uh, selected pitcher off the board. Does that sound right to you? Anybody egregious who's not in that top ten? I don't think. I think you put Kirby a lot earlier than you went. Actually, I, I think. Oh, really? Okay. Maybe I missed. Maybe I mixed you, that up. Yeah, I think Woodruff. Um, Woodruff yeah, Wo- and Woodruff Webb nine Web ten. Yeah. Woodruff nine Web ten. Okay. Yeah, because yeah, after Kirby said he couldn't handle more than ninety five pitches, <laughs> we knew we knew the draft room had to. Had to react to that. I'll tell you what, I feel really good about Framber Valdez. Framber Valdez to me is going to be an auto pick anywhere in the third round. The mm-hmm. ground balls, the control, he's not 
a dynamic strikeout guy, but any game he strikes out 10 guys is never a surprise. He's got the Astros infrastructure. I feel really good about that. I also thought it was fascinating that Joe Sheehan double-tapped pitching with Castillo and Gallon rounds two, rounds three. I would think he would just absolutely obliterate hitting for probably the next seven or eight rounds, ten rounds, if we kept doing this draft. That sounded interesting to me. I also like Gossman at the end of the second round. Me too. Toronto, all preseason, hey, can't wait about the the changes to park. It's going to be good for offense. No, it was good for pitching. The home runs are down, and Kevin Gossman is another guy. It took him a while. The Orioles for for a – Decent chunk of time could not develop a starting pitcher, but Kevin Gossman figured it out in the National League, and now he's one of the year over year one of the Cy Young favorites. He won't win this year, but one of the Cy Young favorites. Somebody I, I think he's really justifiable. If you get him in the late second round, early third round, you've done very well. The Glass now pick is tough for me, um, me just because obviously, like, there's no questioning the talent. And if the dude ever threw 140 or 150 innings in a season, he would be otherworldly. Um, I, I, it's just so hard if that's your your ace, your top pick. Um, but I also get that, like, listen, if nine, ten starting pitches are off the board, are there that many starters who are better than Glass now? And you and you wanna you wanna go there? Um, I also still continue to think that, you know, maybe it's because of injury. Who knows that that Brandon Woodruff gets a little bit overlooked. Um, yeah. Starting pitcher ten, so he's still you know one obviously one of the top ten guys off the board. He's just been so good when healthy the last two years, um, and I think it's kind of like maybe not the same argument as the same upside as Glass now, but it's the same argument where it's like if he's going to pitch, he's going to give you elite production. What's the status of, of Corbin Burns, who would have gone two rounds earlier if we drafted this time last year? He probably would have gone where Garrett Cole went. Instead, he goes in the middle of the third round after. A disappointing – it's been such a strange year, right? I mean, he said no-hit bid against the Yankees, but he's had several poor starts. He's just been good this year, not great. How are we appraising him into the new season? Yeah, it was a tough call for me between uh, Wheeler and Burns because Wheeler's had the better season. He, he, he better control, you know, better strikeout rate. I mean, uh, he doesn't give up hard contact. Like, Wheeler just felt safer to me in this moment. Uh, Burns has been better over the past couple of months for sure. But even still, like the walks are up over the past couple of months, like, and the, you know, home ballpark isn't necessarily what you want. His future in Milwaukee is up in the air. So I just think Wheeler, again, I was like looking for safe with my ace, with my SP1. Uh, So I felt better about Wheeler. I don't know if that's crazy or not, but that's just the impulse that I had. I think that's, I think that's fair. I think Wheeler is a safer arm and we know we're going to get the innings there. I do think Burns has been better in the second half. The strikeout rate has gone up. Um, you know, the K minus walk rate is, is good, even though the walk rate has, it has gone higher. It's more similar to the Burns that we have seen in the past. Um, and I think the Burns that we, that this version of Burns, the second half version of, of Corbin Burns is still not giving you elite strikeouts, even though they're better, which means he's a, a solid, starting pitcher one on your fantasy team, not a guy who you're like, oh, should I take Burns over Cole and Strider, which was the conversation coming into this year. So I think maybe the you know, the star has lost a little luster, but I still really – if I come out of a draft and I you know, get Burns where he went here in like the back half of the third round, I, I still feel pretty good about that. So before we move on here, just a quick word for our – Listeners and viewers, this Sunday night, AFC AFC East rivals do battle in South Beach when Mac Jones, Bill Belichick, and the Patriots face 
Tua, Tyreek Hill, and the Dolphins. That should be a fun shootout there after what we saw this past Sunday. Coverage starts at 7 p.m. Eastern, only on NBC and Peacock. So with the time that we have remaining here, I want to throw a couple of names at you guys. And one, I was wondering what you thought. So Ellie De La Cruz, we got to talk about him. He went 25th overall in the second round. Does that feel right? Upside, you know, through the moon, but flawed approach, we know. Does that make sense there for you, 25th overall? It does. He reminds me a lot of Bobby Witt, where there's a lot of swing and miss or OBP issues in his game, but there's going to be category juice. Maybe Witt was a better batting average risk into this season, so that's why he'll go earlier than Daylight Cruz will go, who has not played particularly well for several weeks. But at some point, you just say, screw it. I mean, there's a downside to anybody. Um, There's so much upside here. At some point, he's going to be a top five pick consensus in future seasons. I think we all see that coming. The Reds are very fascinating team with so much young talent. I, I thought I thought that slot felt about right to uh, 210, which is what, about 25 overall, something like that. I fully get the, the argument on the upside. Um, so I, I understand people wanting to take him. I guess it depends on how you're building your roster. Like that's a point in the draft where I may have gone with with a pitcher if I didn't take a pitcher in the first round. Like I maybe feel better about taking a, a Kevin Gossman because and anchoring my rotation because I think the the range of outcomes with De La Cruz is so high. And I know people are gonna say, Oh, well, if you drafted Julio Rodriguez last year, you know, that that hit and you know. There are just far more times where you're using a really early round pick on a rookie. And we really do still need to think of Ellie Derek Cruz as, as a rookie next year, even though he has the at bats. Um, I guess I'm just, I, I'm curious how Ellie Derek Cruz goes 25 um, and I, and Matt McLean goes, you know, in the fourth round when McLean has outproduced Ellie Derek Cruz this year and hasn't shown, you know, the roller coaster variance. And I get that, you know, the argument is upside, but also, you know, Matt McClain could easily be a a 2020 guy next year, yeah. 25-25 guy with a much safer batting average. So I, I think it just depends on your risk tolerance. Um, and it felt a little rich for my blood. I also like the way Seth Trackman balanced out his roster, right? He takes L.A. Delia Cruz in the second round, bookended by Kyle Tucker, super high floor. Randy yeah. Arosa Reyna, he's almost like a boring vet at this point. And then Paul Goldschmidt, who's aging into his mid-30s very gracefully. Even Logan Gilbert, I think, is a high floor pick. So if you're sometimes it's a case of if you're going to roll the dice and, and let your hair down with L.A. Delia Cruz, maybe you balance him out with some really yeah. high floor picks that surround him. And then he went so, Josh Lowe with the last one, which is another, yeah. you know – uh, it, that's I thought about, about how you build. It's, how, it's about yeah. how you build your team. So in the third round, I thought it was interesting to see Edwin Diaz was selected as the first closer off the board. Hasn't thrown a pitch this year. Might throw a pitch in September. We'll see. Too early? Seem right? I, I don't know. It's It felt a little, like, aggressive. But yeah. by this come next spring, we may say that's a slam dunk. I don't know. Con- confirmation bias, but I went. I feel like I went with second and third, third tier closers in most of my drafts this year, and I got lucky and landed on a lot of the right guys. I feel like that's always gettable, even in a 15-team league. If you have a year where your closers blow up, then you, you go into these drafts like, oh, I, I got to get safe closers. What's safe about Edwin Diaz? He didn't throw a pitch this year. I would never take him in the third round. 
I, I think it's, I mean, the pick was made by, by Greg Jewett too, which is worth discussing since relievers are what he does. Um, which is all the more reason why I wouldn't take Diaz if I were him, because I think Greg yeah, is going well, to find hidden gems in the bullpen. Yeah. He's so good at that. I would say, Greg, you don't need Diaz. You're going to beat us on the back end. Yeah. And Gre- Greg's philosophy has been, and it's one that I've kind of found success with too, is like trying to get the one guy early to anchor the bullpen yeah, and then yeah, sure. throw all those tarts at the end. Um, and so I listen, I get it. If you took Edwin Diaz at the end of the third round in drafts this year, it was a major steal. He was not, he was not lasting till the end of the third round in drafts like this. Um, and, you know, I, I think you saw for various reasons this year that, you know, closers are not fully they have some risk right the the liam hendricks thing the edwin diaz thing there's so many you know kind of like wrinkles or obstacles but i i don't i don't mind it i mean i feel i feel as good about getting diaz at the end of the third round as i do getting classe in the middle of the of the fourth i mean yeah you know there's a lot of upside to classe but he's also blown a lot of saves and you know who knows how that how long that stays? The velocity going up and down with him all the time is is a concern. So I took Josh Hader pretty much right after Class A came off the board. Devin Williams was the fourth closer. Jordan Romano, Alexis Diaz, Camilo Duvall, Joan Duran. That's kind of the elite tier of closers. Uh, we have to go in a minute, but I also want to ask you about how weird it is to see Mike Mike Trout drafted in the fifth round. Uh, what do you, what do you, I don't like if he's healthy, he's money, but I mean, is that what it, is that what it's about? Just, he can't stay on the field. I can't draft trout anymore because I think yeah. it's all, it's all about downside. Plus he doesn't run anymore too. Even mm-hmm. the batting average isn't where it used to be. It's no, it's no fun. We say this all the time. It's no fun to play fantasy sports like an actuary, but the actuary tendencies of me won't draft Mike trout this early. I, that's an easy pass for me. Yeah, it's it's tough, um, but I, I agree with Scott there. Um, I think, you know, if he were to really plummet, obviously you never want to say fully out, but it's I don't see anybody really letting Mike Trout go that far, and it's just hard to think that he's going to come back and be the player that he used to be you know, in a lineup that may be terrible again next year. If Otani uh, yeah, leaves, which there's going to be nothing around him. Um, yeah. And again, like Scott said, he doesn't run, so – you're just hoping he hits 40 plus home runs and has a good batting average. And he, you know, he has to stay healthy to do that. So I might've reached with my last pick in the sixth round. I'm not sure, but I'm interested to get your take on where Francisco Alvarez sits at the catcher position. Adley Rushman was the first catcher off the board. Then uh, we had the usual suspects, JT Romuto and, and Will Smith. So I think that's pretty safe, safely our top three. Can Alvarez crack the top five? Uh, in ADP among catchers going into drafts next year. I thought it was a little bit early, but I like the fact you took Yuri Perez in the fifth, Francisco Alvarez in the sixth, a couple of young players. We talk about players on the escalator. Perez, you would think, would throw a lot more innings next year. I got an argument with a co-manager of mine because we we missed a chance to keep Alvarez, and I said to him snarkily because he would give me guff about it all year. I said, oh, okay, congratulations. We, we missed out on the next Mike Zanino. But I think eventually Alvarez is going to hit for a decent average. To me, if yeah. you want to take him in a digit round, I think that's fine. I think you took him maybe a little bit early, but I like it as a talking point. Because again, we that's have to what ask it was. Us, That's what it was. It's a talking point, right? For sure. <laughs> well, my final two picks were boring, guys. Blake Snell and, and Lane Thomas. And you know, for all I know, Lane Thomas could be somebody we draft next year and we end up cutting because the season was totally pixie dust. Sometimes I think I'm a little bit more sympathetic for guys who come out of nowhere. 
and sometimes they turn up the Mike Dostromsky and you, know, you wish you hadn't drafted them. But uh, you took Perez and Alvarez. If nothing else, DJ, you'll have no problem marketing this team in the offseason. I'm I'm very all I'll say is I'm very intrigued by the catcher position next year because there's a lot of young guys who didn't get full seasons this year, mm-hmm. and I'm curious to see what happens with Alvarez and Ohapi and Bo Naylor and um you know does Yiner Diaz get a, a full time look like there's a lot of guys like that which could depending on their situation could drastically change the way we look at the depth of the catcher position next year. And also, yeah, Tout usually is a two-catcher league, so this mock was under the assumption we needed two fills a catcher, which would push up Alvarez a couple of rounds over a traditional one-catcher fill. True. Uh, I'm an Alvarez fan. The strikeout rate isn't super high. The power is legit, quick bat. So I think he's a middle-of-the-order bat, 30-homer annual kind of player as we move forward here. So like I said, we're going to post the link to the draft in the description of the podcast. Uh, both in audio and video. So be sure to check it out. Um, Some interesting stuff and takeaways uh, from from this draft for sure. A fun little experiment. Subscribe to Circling the Bases wherever you get your podcasts. You can actually find all your favorite NBC Sports shows on Amazon Music. Just head to amazon.com slash NBC Sports. Do yourself a favor. Check out the Roadwell Football Show. Like I, I said earlier, three days a week. Get your fill. Get your fantasy roster right coming out of week one here. Also, follow us on Twitter or X if you don't already. Eric is at SamskyNYC. Scott is at Scott underscore Pianowski. I'm at DJ Short. Take care, everyone, and we will see you next time. The longest field goal ever attempted is 76 yards. The longest field goal ever missed? Also 76 yards. Why bring this up? Because knowing your limits matters, both when you're kicking a field goal and when you gamble. Betting more than you're comfortable with is like trying a 70-yard field goal. It probably won't go well. So set a limit when you gamble and stick to it. Want more helpful tips like this? Go to KeepItFunOhio.com for games, quizzes, and lots of ways to keep your gambling from getting out of hand. Dive into the start of summer at Whole Foods Market. Check out their summer splash event with sales on fresh organic produce, organic strawberries, and a fan favorite sale on Ben & Jerry's and Talenti. Explore deals on grill-friendly meats like organic air-chilled chicken breast, beef and chicken kebabs, all with no antibiotics ever from our meat department. Plus, grab easy sides from prepared foods and cool off with refreshing drinks. Kick off your summer and shop in store or online at Whole Foods Market today.